watching episode 12 of the Life of Gem live video podcast. This is my first show of the year. Welcome 2021. This is being filmed live from my home in the Inland Empire. I hope to be back in the Rag House Media Studio soon. I miss my producer, April. She's here uh, virtually. I also have a special guest today who I'm going to introduce soon, rock star lawyer and my friend, Courtney Stewart-Alban, who I went to USC Law School with. But first, let's watch a video from our sponsor, Hotbox Vintage. Hotboxvintage.com. I'm back. This is going to be a very interesting show for you today. Courtney and I are going to talk law, politics, writing, activism, and anything else we can fit in in the time we have. But first, I'm going to read a very short essay called These Strange Days, and then we're going to jump in and start talking about the events that have happened in the last couple of weeks. It's been a historic week in the worst kind of way, what with the pandemic, the Capitol riots, a failed coup, let's call it duck a duck, and then the upcoming inauguration, we have a lot to talk about. But first, here's my story. Strange days. The limits of written discourse are clear. There is really no effective way for me to convey how I feel. The house is quiet when I'm writing this. All I can hear is the dripping of a faucet. This has been a strange week and I am in a strange mood. I feel like I have a rock of anxiety and fear in my stomach and my chest. I feel as if I'm in a nightmare fairy tale and I've swallowed a poison apple whole. When things happen of a historic nature, I don't believe we can always process it immediately. All of the shocking and horrifying moments that we witnessed on television on Wednesday, January 6th, felt surreal. They felt like the plot of a bad Netflix TV show. Yet, they were our moments. History in the making, to use a cliche. And all of us sat there, staring at our television sets, in our pandemic lockdown world. You might have even ordered a pizza or drank a beer. It's hard even days later to reconcile these events. They seem not quite real. Did that really happen is a question we may ask ourselves in the future. And yes, those events happened. It really happened. And everything just seems so unsettled With the transition looming for the presidency, I still worry for our country. The one thing I realized while writing that, this essay, is that this last year since March has been a long car ride of worries. It's as if we're on a ride to nowhere or to somewhere unknown. 
And as I lay here writing this essay, I think to myself, I hope everything ends up okay. By everything, I mean the transition, the inauguration, the pandemic, the vaccinations. I'm sure, like all of us, I just want this to be over, all of this mess to be done with. I want to go back to the days pre-pandemic and pre-capital riots when the world felt less chaotic and less scary and not so tumultuous and unnerving. But I also realize, as I sit here, that for many less privileged than I am, the world has always felt this way. That's it. That's my essay. That's Strange Days. It's on my blog. Now, let me introduce my special guest, Courtney Stewart-Alban, who I am honored to have on my show. She's a great friend and an amazing lawyer. Courtney Stewart-Alban, who you're going to see in a second, is a fellow USC law grad and civil litigator in Los Angeles. We serve together on the board of the Public Interest Law Foundation at USC. Courtney grew up in New Orleans. She finished high school in Houston and went to college in Boston before fully transplanting herself in Southern California in 1997. She currently lives in Pasadena with her husband and now law partner, Juan Pablo Alban. They're two middle-aged school children and their beloved dog, Archer. <sighs> dog people. Courtney is an avid journal writer. This is why we're friends. With an interest in creative nonfiction writing. She is a lover of music, photography, comedy, and philosophy. She is a spiritual seeker and a truth speaker. I can tell you this. After law school, Courtney married her law school sweetheart and started a job at a big law firm where she practiced intellectual property litigation for eight years. Courtney is the rare person who actually enjoys litigation, but she did not feel that sleeping on the floor under her desk while pregnant to take turns sight-checking a brief was the best use of her skill set. She much prefers to use her talents, which are many, to fight injustice and achieve strategic results. Since leaving big firm life in 2010, Courtney has paved her own path by taking on cases and issues and clients that interest her and that she deeply cares about, rather than doing what people tell her she should do. This has led to a wide range of experiences from briefing and Courtney successfully arguing for a change in trademark law in the Ninth Circuit to winning a civil fraud jury trial in LA Superior Court against a startup incubator to significant yearly pro bono representation in pre-litigation and litigation matters in state and family court. Courtney gives back, I can tell you that. She is currently working on three different class action lawsuits in the public interest with the ultimate goal of making a difference in the world and in public interest litigation while balancing her full life as a mother, a creative person, and an activist. Courtney, welcome. Thank you, Juanita. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. 
I'm so happy to have you. Oh my gosh. We have so much to talk about. So let's jump in. It's, it's, yeah. What did you think today watching the impeachment? Um, you know, it's just, it's unbelievable to me that they, um, that, that we are where we are. I mean, everything is just so, so farcical. I mean, I'm glad they, they did that. Um, you know, I was thinking though, is it's, it's interesting. It had, had the Senate, um, risen to the occasion and impeached him the first time the Republican party would be in a much better position as would the country, you know, than we are today. And, but from their point of view, I feel like they would have had Pence. They would have probably got one, a second election. They would have, you know, disclaimed Trump. But, you know, at this point, um, I mean, we'll see. I mean, it's ironic that we're praying for Pence as a Pence as a president at this point. I'm like, please give us Pence. He has honor. He has integrity. I may not agree with him politically, but I do believe he has a conscience. And I yeah. think that his eyes have opened with Trump. I heard that he said something very obscene, that Trump said ve- something very obscene to Pence. Do you want to be known as a patriot or or a woman's genitalia? Oh. And, and it just shows who Trump is. And, you know, I don't want to make this a partisan conversation, but let's talk about the Capitol riots. I mean, it was unnerving. I mean, I, I just it was almost like 9-11. You and I were in law school in 9-11. It was that kind of feeling, don't you think? It was. It was like things are changing. The ground is, you know, being ripped up from under your feet. Um yeah. Yeah, I. You, where were you when you when you were hearing this? Were you at home? Were you at work? I was working from home. Okay. Yeah, me too. And I we have like little balconies, and I immediately like kind of during it was just so in that rage space. Like, okay, this is my line. Like, yeah. there ha- you know I feel like the line has been coming, coming, but I'm like, surely this has to be everybody's line. Yeah. Um, and I went kind of like on a rant which I don't usually do. Um, I'm kind of grown up now more at 47 control my, my emotional social, social media impulses kind of uh, learning uh, along the way. But I did go out there and I was like, if you, if one person, if anyone in my family, you know, enough. And um, I, you know, I just felt so heated and I actually only have like two, two family members and my extended family, two cousins. Like, I don't even know them that well. I mean, they're my first cousins, but, you know, they live in Florida um, and South Carolina. But it's, like, the only two people I know. And I put them on blast on social media, and I just, like, my head went, (laughs) all the kind of, you know, I just felt like I got almost to the end of the presidency, like, through the election. Like, I didn't blow up too many, you know, I, I didn't lose my mind. And then it was just that, that really put me over the edge. This is the time where we have to take a stand because this is something we can't come back from. And I had to delete my cousin from Montana. Um, and it, it was heartbreaking to me. He's a good man, but he has really extremist views. And I had to delete a friend of a friend um, from San Bernardino. And I was just like, I'm done. I'm yeah. done. And then the friend of the friend called me, texted me and said, did you delete so-and-so? I said, yes, I can't do it anymore. I can't handle the delusions and I'm a 1368 lawyer I deal with delusionary clients for a living and mm-hmm. I cannot deal with this anymore mm-hmm. I refuse I'm just not doing it I'm not mm-hmm. going to argue waste my breath bang my head against a wall there's no point 
it it feels like we've all been just subject to, you know, what it's like to live with a narcissist, what it's like to, you know, I mean, obviously I'm not a psychologist and it's, you know, a kind of a colloquial label and, you know, but it certainly, I feel like, you know, it when you see it and yeah. there's not that many people that act with this type of character that are just in needing a, of such approval, you know, and to the point of denial of reality, um, and just zero accountability and really shamelessness. I felt like that's a quality that I saw in him. It's like, oh, if, you know, if people catch you in a lie, you know, most of us are just like, so like it would be, you wouldn't want that to be embarrassed. You'd be ashamed. I mean, if you yeah. remove that from the equation, you know, that's what these like sociopaths, it's like, there's just no, you know, it, that there no shame and, and therefore you know, no he, accountability. He was very careful what he said at that riot. And um, I think Giuliani went further than Trump as far as the language. We all know what Trump meant. But I think that the thing that's scariest about Trump is that he has a way, and I don't even like saying his name, um, our soon-to-be former president has a way of getting other people to do his bidding, much like Charles Manson talking about sociopaths. So the first thing I thought is there is liability for him here. Um, but it's going to be hard, harder, hardest to prove against him, easiest to prove against the people who did the rioting and the killing and all the, you know, vandalism and trespassing and um, hardest against Trump because he was careful about what he said. He went too far still. I think they can prove it, but it's going to take a couple. Do of you weeks. know, like what when I read the kind of the transcript and I'm not looking at it now, you know, I felt like it was enough that when you're from having. Did you go back and look at the at the law, like what it is to incite violence? Yeah, yeah I've looked at it. And yeah, I think I think they can make the case. But I think yeah. he was still a little less careful than Giuliani, who said trial by combat. Yeah. He said, you need to be strong. You need to fight. I and mean, I think Don Jr. Did you see Don Jr. before? Oh, yeah. Him? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and the fact I, what I really can't believe is like how many people felt that, 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 you know, there were going to be no consequences for them to see them not wearing masks, Juanita. I mean, it almost felt like, is this like a Darwinian moment? Like, is this like how dumb can, I mean, if a mask is going to serve two purposes to maybe not get a virus that could, you know, kill you or someone else that you know and love yeah, and Hey, not get you caught for the crime that you're committing. And yet still, you know, it's like, I think I'm just realizing it's that saying like, um, cut off your nose to spite your face. <laughs> right. It's kind of like that. It's just like, they're not going to wear a mask. You yeah. And I, for me, I was um, amazed that no one was wearing masks in the crowd and how many people there were that were storming the Capitol. That's what shocked me was the amount of people climbing walls, entering the building. And I'm sorry, but we are very lucky that these senators are not passed. We're very lucky they didn't get caught. We're very lucky that we did have some Capitol Police that was able to kind of get people out or distract the rioters and the insurrectionists and would-be murderers, probably. I mean, they had zip ties. They had um, Mm -hmm. cocktails. They had beer. They had bear spray they were using. They were using weapons. Um, it's, It's beyond anything. It's 1984 times 
25. I mean, this is a, this is basically an insurrection, a war, a failed coup. And the only reason it failed was just luck because they were seconds away from getting into that chamber. Seconds. But but also like, I feel like there was some element of kind of this, this fantasy world that we've been seeing develop, you know, and, and, and increasingly in the past, even two years and with like the development of, QAnon. And and like you said, you have a couple of cousins. I only have a couple of cousins. So even in like a liberal bubble, like you're seeing these people coming out here and saying these things, you're sort of catching winds that like, maybe they believe. I don't even like to know because I'm like, I don't even want to like give lip service, like the thought, like drinking blood, like whatever. Um, But I feel like you saw this instance where there's these parallel worlds where people are, we're living so much of our lives online yeah. And interacting in one way. And there's sort of there's sort of social rules, um, you know, that are that are different. Like you you can say things in real life that have nuance and meaning and we sort of get what you mean. And I have met like Trump supporters like out in the world. And it's like, oh, I'm in Louisiana. It's a shrimper. And in the context of learning about him losing his, his mother to breast cancer, in the context of him talking you know, poetically about the, 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 the Louisiana coast and the, you know, and you, you meet a person, you're not like an up or down vote on like, you know, Trump. Yes. Yes. Like it's, you know, all these online, it's such a, it's just like these, this binary world where everyone, you know, it's the zeros and ones at the foundation, but we're really live in that world where it's like, okay, you know, Republican, no Trump. No. Yeah. Like, Everything's just kind yeah. of yeah. Um, I think it's there's no oxygen in that space, right? In this in this electronic social media space, there's nowhere to breathe. It's just like you're hit with all these images and all these statements, and they all have this resonance of truth because it's in print. And we lost all sense of journalistic ethics. And that I'm sorry, but the New York Times and Washington Post and all these media outlets are are actual outlets that have journalistic integrity versus the blogosphere. Cause I can put whatever I want on my blog. You know, I am a journalist. I feel like when I write articles for Al Jazeera and other uh, entities, but on my blog, I'm not a journalist. I'm just a blogger who wants to say what she has to say. Uh, you know, yes, I do my research, but most people don't. Right. Um, and you know, we, we can't, end the discussion of the Capitol riots without talking about the way that Black Lives Matter would have been treated by the police and mm-hmm. the the security that would have been in place had this been a people of color demonstration. And to me, that is probably one of the most disturbing things is the lack of any kind of police presence. I mean, hundreds of police or maybe a thousand, but not tens of thousands. And you have 50,000 minimum rioters and insurrectionists there that have a plan to take over the Capitol and basically kidnap and kill senators. Right. And it's not like we didn't have any warning. This wasn't out of the blue, you know, I mean, it was the, the, the internet was lit up with, with all this, we could see it coming, we could feel it coming, you know? And again, it's like the fact of not wearing masks. It's like that, that with the racial aspect, there was a real sense of entitlement, a real sense of like, what? Like, You know, in fact, I saw one of those guys, someone who got caught on all the, you know, social media clips that were inundated with, who literally said, you're treating me like a black person. 
Did you see that? No. No, he's being held on the ground and he said it unironically. And it's just like, there's so much that can be in your face. Um, and it feels like, you know, of course, we've been attentive people. And of course, everyone in the black community has been into their whole lives, you know, but even for those of us like focusing on it, there's been a more of a more as more people have smartphones, as more, you know, police have body cams, as more comes out. We've just had this building up, this watershed, you know, experience and all being home during the pandemic. Yeah. Where even I think I think you gained a huge number of people who eat up until the pandemic didn't know, you know, like with George Floyd, like what? Like, so I think yeah. it's, you know, it's, it is yeah. making an impression. And then to have seen kind of this culminating moment and have these white guys just walking in there, like nobody's business and they're opening the doors, you know, it's just seems like at some point it had, the truth has to be so evident and so obvious that you can't but help you know, proceed, admit it, acknowledge it. Um, but yet, it, you know. And it's like I say at the end of my essay, you know, for people less privileged than I, the world has always felt this way. For people that don't have any kind of economic security, which I did not have necessarily half my life, mm -hmm. the last 10, 15 years have been very good to me. And uh, part of that was the privilege of going to USC law school and, you know, having a corporate law firm job after. And, you know, you know that because I lived with your parents in Houston when I worked at Vincent and Elkins. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we both come from a big firm culture. And I remember walking into that law firm and feeling like such an imposter and completely probably self-imposed for the most part. But I never fit in because I never felt comfortable. Mm -hmm. And that's how most people feel when they get into these, you know, I just watched Hillbilly Elegy, which I hate the book. Oh, the, the movie did a really good job. I, I read the book. It was OK. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, you know, but I'm the, glad to know you liked it. Yeah. Yeah. Because there's a scene in the movie um, and the movie doesn't have the political undertones that the book has, which is why I like the movie better. And the guy has never used a knife and fork like multiple forks. And he's trying to figure out which fork to use. And I remember a partner at Vincent and Elkins, we used to go to these fancy dinners and he showed me which forks to use before dinner. And I always remembered that and thought, wow, what a gentleman, like to make me feel comfortable in my own Aww, skin. That, that is place. so nice to know. And since yeah. that's like where my dad was, there is, <laughs> you know, what? it kind of kills me. And that's another aspect is being from the South. You know, I I know a lot of these people that are more so like in that middle ground where you should expect to know better. You know, yeah. I don't know the the yahoos that are showing up at the Capitol, you know, yeah. um, but not to say that anyone I know couldn't have ended up there or ha or, you know, certainly empathize with them. I have mostly, because of I'm just so um, opinionated and on social media, I've mostly, those people either don't follow me, I've blocked them. Like I, I'm, you know, for better or for worse, I'm kind of in a bubble in that way. But I do know a lot of people in the South, like you're talking about, that are well-meaning and well-intentioned. And like, yeah. you know, may, maybe even in 2016, it looks so obvious to us, but maybe even then it's just sort of, they weren't paying attention. I was giving them the benefit of the doubt a little bit because you've seen good people that help their neighbor, that help 
that you've never heard utter a word of animosity about anyone. And, you know, they, but, um, it just seems like. What's it at Elkins, a Republican law firm in Texas, great people. They're not all Republican. There's a lot of Democrats there too. My dad was never Republican. No, your dad's a Democrat. Sure. As is your mom. I mean, two of them best people. And I mean, there were some good Republicans there that I met. I was very good friends with a, uh, a person very, you know, active in the Republican party. And we, we had our discussions and him and I back then were able to talk back and forth. His name was John Michaels. Uh, I think he's a partner there now. And uh, we were very good friends. And I don't know whether I could have that same relationship now with if someone was supporting Trump versus someone supporting Bush. So, right. um, you know, it's that's, hard. That's though. the difference. It's like we've gotten he's so he's, he's so polarizing, such a like a lightning rod. Um yeah. I mean, it's fascinating, though, like to see, you know, where where do we go from here? Like how, you know, I think what they feel. He makes I, Romney look amazing. I'm I like, know. I'm like, OK, we mean that bad. Bush. Bush seems like a decent guy. Bush was the worst president ever. I mean, I really remember being so outraged. At, and you know, I think Iraq he and, didn't have perspective of what an autocrat could do with, with someone that's a demagogue. We had yeah. no idea of what could really happen with someone that has these fascist-like tendencies. You, we just had no, we just had no clue. We thought Romney and Bush were horrible, and Bush is painting paintings now and coming out for Democrats, and Romney is like the sanest, nicest guy there. Yeah. And you're just like, oh man. You know but then there's other ones that aren't. So yeah, and, yeah. I think with Bush, um, I think his fault or you know it was ushering in like well i mean not not his only fault but what i what i think happened with him is like ushering in that anti-intellectualism i think he really rode yeah. that and that was disturbing to me that it was okay that he was just gonna kind of putz along and and be on his dad's wingtails and he didn't show up for the army yeah. and had c's at yale and he only got in because his parents and you know and it was just like books like he doesn't know all that and that kind of emphasizing that texas like really like you wanted to have a beer with them, you know, but yeah. you were like it, that was that inch that felt like horrible. Like, no, you need to be, you need to rise to a higher standard. You're not trying to just be one of the people we want someone who who's going to be better than us. Like I mean, <laughs> Obama, right. You know? I mean, the perfect Smart. example is Obama. Yeah. Smart, educated, comes from blue collar background is uh, unlike many people. And then now we have Biden Harris, both public servants. Biden was a public defender for a year. Harris was a district attorney for many years. I didn't always agree with her when she was a, you know, a prosecutor, but she knows the system as does Biden. Right. And I think if anything is going to change in the criminal justice system, it's going to be in the next four years because these two people know what we're dealing with, especially Harris. And I always tell people, you can only fix the system if you've worked in it. And I've worked in it for over a decade, and I can't fix it. I could give ideas of how to fix it. We need state hospitals to open up. We need uh, placements in the community, which no one wants. No community, no community wants mentally ill boarding cares in their community. At least no community like Orange County or L.A. or Pasadena. Mm-hmm. San Bernardino, they'll open them up. Um, but we still don't have enough in the better areas. I mean, you need them spaced out mm-hmm. across the whole Inland Empire and L.A. County. 
to really make a difference. I have people that are waiting six months to a year for a state hospital bed. And right now, Patton was shut down because of COVID. People are going to Napa. That's how far they're sending people. From here? Yeah, from San Bernardino and Riverside. They're going to Napa or they're going to Metro in LA or they're going to Tascadero in the the, um, high desert um, because there's just so much COVID in the state hospitals right now. Wow. And you were so early to write about that within the prisons. And and what is happening now? Do you know? Is there are they being prisoners being vaccinated in California as a priority or not yet? Um, one would hope. I know deputies are being vaccinated and doctors and people that work in the system are being vaccinated, hopefully public defenders soon. But I think, you know, back in March, if you would have asked me how long this would go on, I would not have believed it. I would yeah. went. I went to San Antonio, Texas for a writing conference. I was out at a bar drinking martinis with my friend Samuel. And I, oh, I, what I wouldn't give to go back to that day. Uh, <laughs> when, when, when was that? March? March. First wow. week of March. First or second week of March. And then I got back. The day I got back, everything exploded. We already knew about COVID, but they kept the conference on because we didn't know how bad it was. And um, the conference had a lot of social distancing and stuff. And it probably only half the people came or a third of the people came right. that were supposed to come. But when I got back is when I wrote my article. I stayed up for oh. three nights and wrote it. And then I had I wrote a statement on Twitter or on Facebook. And an uh, editor from Al Jazeera was like, did you really go into the jail and they had no soap? I'm like, they never have soap. Oh. And then he's like, "Do you, I'll, I'll take your article. And I just wrote it in three that's days. That's awesome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, that was, but yeah. um, what has work been like since then? Like, how are you, what is your schedule? Are you in seeing people these days? Right, not right now because it, there's been another outbreak, both at the courthouse, at the jail and at our office, even we've had some positives. So um, I wake up at five. I start visiting people from six to seven 30 via video Wow. Um, Then I I do my calendar every day. um, And then Thursdays and Fridays, I sometimes have to go to work. What do you mean by that? So I have about 25 people on calendar a week. So I'll go through my whole calendar for the week for Thursday and Friday. What does that entail? Like you get their names called? The judge, like you're sitting and the judge is calling names? Usually, but right now a lot of it is email or video or phone. So, so I have not been to court for two weeks, but I should but go 25 next week. Pe- what do you mean? There's 25 people that you, you, you meet them then on video a day? A week. About oh. 25 to 30 a week. A week. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> oh, there's some people that can do that in a day as a public defender. As a brand new public defender in misdemeanor court, I would see about 20 people a day. So, I mean, my practice is a much more um, specialized mental health practice for right, people that right. are incompetent. So, uh, but I mean, I have huge calendars on Thursdays and Fridays. So next Thursday, I'm going to court. This Thursday, I'm doing it via phone. So okay. I kind of, if I can do it via phone or video, I do. If I can do it in person and I have to, I have to. Sometimes yeah. I have to go because I have an out of custody client that needs me to stand beside him in court. So that that's just something I do and it's okay. Yeah. I mean, I've been going to court this whole time. The last two weeks have been the only time I haven't really been in court two days out of the week. So yeah. And I have a trial coming up, so that's going to be a bench trial. 
but a bunch of the doctors might not be able to testify. So that's getting kicked a month. So, you know, a lot of it is continuing stuff, but we still have to keep our practice going because right. our, our, our caseloads are so high that we need to, and we need to actually advocate for people to get out for, right. and I've been finding placements for people, getting them out on bail. I did like 20 bail motions when the pandemic first hit, got about 15 people out of custody. So that was a huge win. That was great. Awesome. Some of them went back in, but <laughs> uh, there's nothing you can do. Let's talk about the pandemic. How have okay. you been surviving? Um, I, you know, I'm, it, it's just so weird. How can we even talk about this? It's so weird. <laughs> it's just so weird. It's like you, I feel like it comes in waves yeah. where you, you know, I just sometimes get that feeling, it, you know, I'm a little bit like ADD and I feel, it sort of feels like, like when there's like a rush of like with an ADD feeling, you're just sort of like, I want to, it feels like this impulse, like something like do something or, you know, get out. Yeah. Like, I, I, and then it's like, Oh, I want to, what? Like, no, not nowhere to go. <laughs> Nothing to do. Like it's these, these unsatisfied sort of like urges of like, I don't know. And you just kind of remember like, Oh no, still here, you know? And I, I also have been wa- in watching uh, kids go through puberty. Like I have an 11 oh. year old and a 13 year old. My son turned 13 on March 13th. It's the last day he went to school. That's Adrian's but, birthday. My husband's what? birthday. He's a Pisces. That's oh, Adrian. he's the 13th too, Adrian? Mm-hmm. Ah, mm-hmm. interesting. Yeah. Um, cool. Yeah, so it was Friday the 13th. He was turning yep. 13. And it was the, he got an announcement at school. You're not coming back on Monday. We thought like a couple of weeks. I was like, oh, cool. You're, you know, we didn't do, we were going to get together with his friends that weekend. We're like, maybe in a, you know, next weekend, like literally, or like in a couple of weeks or, and um, even just the, they've been remarkable that kids have been, but my son, we went into this pandemic, whatever quarantine, and he was short, like just inching up. It was like, is he going to be shorter than me on his 13th (laughs) birthday? And he was about like, right. Even now he's like, I mean, it's just to see a human change, like while you're in the same four walls, you know, and it feels like a lion, like pacing in a cage where you're like, this is not where you're meant to be, buddy. Like he's now, he's like this lumbering, like, I don't know. It just, you know, and they're, and they're not socializing like with other kids, you realize like what, how much of yourself and identity is kind of, it's kind of a trial by fire, like adolescence, like he's in public school. Like kids are, you know, and now it's just us, mommy and daddy and <laughs> sister. I mean, I, it's it's amazing that we haven't all like murdered each other. The other day, my husband was just like chewing, and I was like, "Stop!" <laughs> <laughs> he's like, "What?" He's been sick, you know. And then he, he yeah, he's negative. We're all negative. We're all yeah. lucky. But I mean, you know, I did the only thing I've done recently is a Bowie uh, concert where all these, Dave Navarro, uh, Billy Corrigan, they all did a Bowie tribute and we watched it on TV. And for the first time I was like dancing. I was like, Woo-hoo! and I was so happy. And oh, I was like, fun. this is what life used to be like. I used to be at a concert. Now I have to virtually do it. But can you imagine these kids 
with all of their pen. I mean, you you have them, so you yeah, know. They, they're just on fire to be like. This is when the neurons are like, you know, and it's all about having like a ton of different social interactions. It's like when you see animals and the white, like this is this is how humans do it, you know. And we like mm-hmm. kind of throw them in, and they're like tease for this. And I mean, there is some bright, you know, spots for sure because I think, especially as a parent, I feel selfish. It's worse for him than it is for me because. Um, after some time, like we didn't have anyone come into the house for a while, but you know, I do have help because both Juan Pablo and I work full time and mainly what we have help with is a dinner. Like it's like four to six. So, yeah, I mean, that's huge. It's, you know, I've been privileged in that respect. I can't imagine what, what, what parents are doing with young children. And especially they really, I read, uh, recently Juanita, did you see this? It's like the whole. Every single one of the 140,000 jobs lost or something is women. Yeah. Like men got a net gain in December of 16,000 and every (laughs) single one. And so, you know, we're trying to do it all at home and trying to make it like take the conference call and do the, you know, and, and manage the kids. And it's just so much like. You should have seen me um, today. It's like I woke up at five. I um, did my visits till 730. Then I have the dogs, made my husband breakfast and coffee. He had to go to work. Then um, I put on the TV for my mother-in-law. I run upstairs, work on my cases for three hours. Then I have a meeting at lunch. Then my dogs need to go out. I have to take the dogs out. Then I'm like, oh, shit, I have my podcast. What am I going to make for dinner? Throw a pizza in the oven at three. Oh, I got to take a shower. I got to go back to work. I mean, these jobs are getting more hours out of us than they ever have the the first month of the pandemic 60 hours a week i was working my husband was like shut the effing computer you've been online for 12 hours straight i wasn't going to the restroom i was in my pajamas yeah but it wasn't fun it was my back oh I have had times like that too, when it's so intense, the stress and it's so many hours and it's like, I'm just there and I'm just at home. Like they were saying, you're not even going to the bathroom. Like it's yeah. that where I'm like, oh, in that frenzied pace and also like litigation or, you know, being in when it it's, it's like you're, you're contesting and you're like opposing and you're, you know, it's, I don't know, but not, but never going anywhere. And like, you know, yeah. It's I and I just feel so sad though sometimes too. I mean, often, but like you know, when you really just feel it, right? Rather than just like oh. knowing it, like how- and then add in alcohol abuse during the yeah. pandemic, which I was engaging in for the first six months, and I've cut back a lot and other abuse of other things, you know, yeah. to relax and stuff. Yeah, and I've had to cut it back even because food, even you know, oh, food. I yeah. ate Nutella toast like eight times a day for like six months and I gained so much weight that I, then I lost some weight. Now I'm gaining it back. Yeah. I mean, our bodies are going to be shot after all this. I mean, there's no way. And to see people like even, even seeing like people's like mouths or, or just being close to someone like, it's okay. Like you're safe. It just feels, I feel like a little bit of that, like agoraphobic, like I'll find yeah. I'm like, even though I can go to the store and I'm not like technically so afraid of like walking in to get, something i'm just resistant to it like i'm just yeah. like oh it's okay here like it seems like this like big deal out there like you know what i mean i'm like i don't need yeah. i'll wait till tomorrow or like 
I don't know. I just think we're all, what are the effects going to be? It's so, you know, I make myself go to my appointments. I have my scan appointment um, where I can still see my skin doctor in Claremont for, um, you know, little touch-ups and stuff that I want to do. And then I still see my chiropractor because I have to, because I, I'm going to be a wreck and I still see my hairstylist when I can. Um, Oh, see, I haven't done one thing and not because I, another thing I hate is everybody be like, stay the fuck home. Like, <laughs> you're you like, the fuck home. hair. This is the kind of thing, like, in person. I'm going to go on screen with gray fucking hair and a bunch of wrinkles and no facial. I'm sorry. I can't. Yeah. I can't. Well, but, but, but to each making their own small decision. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. to each, to me, respecting that you're doing what's safe works for you or you're taking a calculated risk and then doing and going to get your hair done the judgment <laughs> when I got around my the- pedicure about three months in I found a place where I could get a pedicure and I went by myself I wore a mask they were back open it was legal but I was like thank god oh my yeah god. I'm sorry I I my toes were hammered I it want a massage. Good. That's why I haven't done any of the things. Like I'm a, now's not the time. You can get a, a massage at a chiropractic office and it's very safe. It's very sterile. They only have one person coming in at a time. You wear a mask. Yeah. They have. Um, so that's what I did. Cause I have really bad back problems because of my chest. And I honestly couldn't breathe. I was like, I'm going to end up in the hospital if I don't get a back massage. Cause like my stress yeah. was like, my anxiety was like, so here. And I think that's what people aren't realizing. The mental health issues are so prevalent right now. So prevalent. And abuse. Like I thought you were saying, you know, alcohol abuse, but it's like, that's our, you know, and, and yeah, it's so minimal for me personally. And, but to, but to think about kids trapped in abusive homes, like relationships, like women, like having nowhere to go, and, and so many people losing their jobs and their livelihood and so many people losing their businesses and just hanging on and working their asses off. Even the bougie little yeah. shops in my area, like the milk and cheese, you know, the wine and cheese. <laughs> That's my little like bougie thing. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to stop by and get like yummy cheese or whatever. And, uh, but like, they're just nonstop working just to stay, you know, afloat and like no one's killing it, you know, right now and I don't know how we're going to deal with this you know the fallout from this because it's like industries that you just wouldn't I don't know it's in so many industries that you know it's not just the bars but and the the live entertainment and like theater and but there's so much service industry my best friend from um elementary school that I still best friends with one of them Melinda she's a waitress and she's a bartender and her job has been decimated decimated and she has two kids and she's lucky she's found other avenues to you know get by and I just think it's we are not even realizing the financial and economic ramifications on um, pink collar jobs and and blue collar jobs in the service industry hotel managers everyone from you know from the bus boys to the waitress to the management to the CEOs, there's going to be. I mean, even to the yeah to the you know the property owners and the commercial real estate and the let. Right. I mean, at every level, people are affected by this. I mean, no one more sympathetic than the people that can't afford that are thinking about hunger and medicine and you know a place to get uh, to live and you know it just it's so much and what really kills me though is that like that we're not 
being the Americans that I grew up thinking that we were, you know, I mean, I feel like slowly, sure, college and on, like that image gets chipped away and you realize like, oh, this is who we are. And, you know, but I think things aren't black and white. And I think there are aspects of that kind of American mentality that were true, you know, as far as at least like coming together and working together and, and, and making and creating and like really being a leader in like ingenuity and like create, you know, imagination. I mean, look at Hollywood, like look at the impact we've had social media, like the freaking internet, like all the things that we came together and have done, like, and, and we're not, doing that you know we're just at this crisis moment that like our you know ward world two generation like grandparents as we're kind of coming of age to be like stewards and you know a more mature elders you know like uh responsible for this and i just feel so saddened that this is the time when we need to be solving these problems um yeah and the and student loan debt, at the helm, you know, like, all of that yelling at us the whole time. Yeah. And I, I think that things will change with this new administration. But we as, you know, lawyers and advocates and um, people that are more privileged than others, we all need to reach out, help out in our community, um, you know, give people a voice, give, you know, give money whenever you can. I, I just think that it's so hard because I'm lucky and I want to help and I, I need to do better. And I think we all can do better. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. It's yeah. hard to know what exactly what you can do, but. So um, let's uh, end with this question. I wrote another blog recently about love, about let love rule. And I think that's really what we're talking about is like loving our neighbor, loving our community. I know you have a great marriage and kids and, but how do you keep your love strong in these chaotic times? Kind of love within the, my family or. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know what? I feel like that. I, I'm not, you know, I'm, it hasn't been hard for me in that respect. You know, I'm, I do have a good relationship and I have a good, you know, and we have space and especially I have easy kids. Like I can't think about how I would have been. My brother would have been like, we were fighting (laughs) and my whole, my nuclear family, you know, where there was much more um, like big feelings and, and angst and fighting and things felt, you know, I don't know, just more unstable, frankly, than, than they do here. So that's like not a problem really for me. I think it's about how to, what's harder is embracing that side of me that would try to make bridges mm-hmm. to people from the South really, because I feel like I have connections, even if it's, even if it's just like, you know, hundreds of people in social media and even the people that are like Democrats, but they don't, you know, they, they don't like think as much about being anti-racist or, you know, they're still not, I don't know. They're not really realizing kind of the gravity of the situation. And I feel like I could be useful in speaking to some people, but I have a hard time not just being angry. (laughs) You know what I mean? So trying to find love in that sense to sort of like, like, okay, like let's have a conversation rather than just, I just want to like, I can't like I, I I feel so angry so I grow I grapple with that but 
Um, yeah, and I think you can be an ambassador. They're going to listen to you, perhaps, because you look like them, or you come from the same town as them, or you went to the same school as them. And I, I think that's the reality: is that we all are drawn to people that are like us in some way, like or that we admire, you know. And it doesn't have to be a race thing; it can be a you know economic, or it can be like a background thing, or an intellect thing, or same law school. You know, yeah. I was drawn to you from the beginning. I think it's because we're both strong women. And, yeah. uh, and we were on the board of, yeah, we had a, a, a public interest law. But I love your creativity and that you're about more than, you know, I went to law school. And maybe you thought the same thing. I thought everyone else was going to be like, not cool. <laughs> you know? No, like just so serious. It just felt so like, wow, law school. And, you know, to find people that have interest in music and interest in spirituality and, you know, other things um, was awesome. Yeah. I'm starting to let my quirky flag fly. I was very, um, I kind of hit it when I was probably in law school and people really didn't know who I was. I tried to put on an act like I was someone else. I think when I finally hit 45 or 46, I said, fuck it. Just be who you are. It's yeah. not going to hurt. I mean, I don't care anymore what people think. Yeah. Um, yeah. Amen. You know, I think that's Amen. the best thing about growing, growing older, really. It's just like oh, now yeah. or never, you know. Yeah. The and, body fails us and our soul kind of lifts us up and we say, fuck uh, it. You know, I, I like who I am. You know, I don't mind that I am, you know. Well, I've been so impressed by you, Juanita, and it's just been amazing to watch your journey and like putting, you know, yourself out there and I've loved your blog and I've loved mm -hmm. your social media presence and now this and just, you know, killing it, like uh, doing your MFA program and uh, moving on to PD. I mean, I've loved every, every minute of watching your journey. Um, thank wow. you for having me. Thank you for being on. And if you start a podcast soon, because I know you're thinking about yes, it. Yes, yes, we please, are going to. Please, you and Juan Pablo, uh, you know, send me a link. I'll put it on my page. Thank we'll you. Do I would love that. Want to promote it. And uh, I'm very proud of you. You're amazing. Thank so, you. Thank you. Yeah. Well, fun. Okay. Well, thank you everyone for listening today. We're going to be back in a couple of weeks. We have an upcoming roster of amazing writers and thinkers like Courtney, who was amazing. Um, in two weeks on January 27th, we're going to have Sean, Shauna Lee I. Perrin on. She just wrote this amazing post-punk novel called Radio Waves that deals with the romance around Joy Division and Manchester, England in the late 1970s. I mean, oh my God. Oh, she's amazing. I've read portions of the book. She's going to send me the whole book. I'm going to read it before the 27th. She's going to be on on January 27th. And then on February 10th, we have Tehana, Texas writer Cecilia Bailly, who used to write for Texas Monthly. She has a PhD in anthropology. She's an expert on the border. And she's going to be on. Wow. So exciting. <laughs> yeah, exciting. So thank you, Courtney, so much for being thank on. You, you have Anita. such a great mind, such a great spirit. Thank you, April, our DJ producer and Rag House media Ooh. owner. <laughs> thank you. I thank you so much. Let's dance it out. Bye.